And from that uh, place of deep co-presence to each other and uh, very planting words around generosity, move to something um, a, a little more practical. Although I'm starting this session on how you generously offer prayer for those you care for, with a little bit about my history and where I come from, um, because I'm going to be asking you to share a little bit about that with each other. So this morning, when I got up, as I do every day, I went into the part of my house where I prepare for the day, and I lit incense and a candle for healing, and called to mind um, each of your faces, and brought that into a sense of uh, my morning sit with uh, a prayer that this might be a fruitful time, a fruitful process, and a real connecting time for each of you as you venture forth in the self-giving that you are entering into. And that process of kind of combining my Buddhist practice of sitting with... uh, prayer comes from the fact that I was raised Roman Catholic and became a chaplain as a Roman Catholic laywoman. And in the process of my uh, pastoral education, realized I had a very strong call to orders. Uh, You may know that the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, does not ordain women. So I moved out of that church into an independent Catholic denomination, was ordained as a priest in that. Um, At that same time, entering through the door of suffering, I would say, I was called to move from my then 25-year practice of uh, transcendental meditation and centering prayer to Vipassana. And oh my gosh, what a revelation it was um, to come to a practice that allowed places inside me that had been tight for my whole life to begin to soften and open. And uh, so I took refuge in the precepts, uh, connected to a teacher and kind of was all in for a long time. Um, And so to this day have an insight practice and able to teach Vipassana and some of the jhana meditations. My um, root teacher is Joseph Goldstein uh, from IMS in Barrie, Massachusetts. And so I carry within me a marriage of uh, deep understanding and appreciation for Christianity, and uh, huge gratitude for the Dharma. For me, prayer began when I was um, very young. When I was four years old, I began to have a lot of trouble sleeping and would wake up and be sleepwalking. Uh, and my parents were somewhat beside themselves, what's going on with our little girl? I think my brain was just developing really fast. But in any event, um, my mother would very patiently take me back to bed, pat my back till I fell back asleep. And even in that young age, uh, you know, uh, not wanting to burden my parents, if I would wake up again after that, I, I just didn't want to bother them. So... Uh, I would lie there, sometimes in terror in the night, uh, feeling the huge vastness, uh, why I would be thinking about this, of infinity, um, and very frightened by infinity, uh, (laughs) to the extent you can understand that when you're four years old. Uh, And just there is sort of a, a, what the French call a cri de cri, a cry of the heart, that, uh, cri de cri, um, that, I needed help with this. I needed help with this. And in time, a presence came into the room 
that I can only describe as a very beautiful, deep, dark blue energy that brought with it in complete serenity. And I would relax and fall asleep and uh, just be very grateful. Then when I was six years old and began first grade at Catholic school and the good Benedictine nuns started teaching me about uh, the tenets of, of the faith, and they did that through stories, and one of the stories they told me about was about the Virgin Mother, the Mother of God. And I had this moment of insight, oh my God, that's who's there for me in the night. It's the Mother of God. It's the Mother of God. And so I've always been very attached to that sense of the huge, benevolent, divine feminine um, before I even had language for that. So for me, that giver, receiver, and gift began there, almost pre-verbal, very early on. Um, And you'll hear that and you'll see ripples of that throughout our time together. What I think is important about that for me is that there is a sense of um, that separation dissolving in a connection with that greater than self, and that when we come into a room to be with another who is um, incarcerated in the hospital, in a nursing home, wherever you're doing your work, wherever you're called to be present, Uh, either formally or informally on the bus, you know, in the supermarket, when you enter into a space where you kind of feel that sense of, oh my gosh, we're in very intimate territory here, how am I present to that? And that exchange begins to happen. To me, that is prayer. That is prayer. Um, And the most important part of it is this self-giving is this opening of self to that moment and the willingness to do that. Uh, The rest will evolve. And while I think it's important to talk a little bit about what some of the major traditions think about and call prayer and the different forms of prayer, before we do that, I would like to say one more thing, and then I'm going to invite you to share a little bit of your prayer history again in pairs. I know with some of the Buddhist chaplains I've worked with in CPE who felt very called to be present to others out of compassion and out of an engagement with their practice, they had a hard time with the idea of prayer. That's not something I do. That's not something I do in my particular branch of Buddhism. In fact, I went into Buddhism so I wouldn't have to deal with God. I wouldn't have to deal with deity. I wouldn't have to deal with authority. What would be real would be my experience, and that's, that's it. So you could see that might be a little bit of an obstacle to their generosity in the sense that many, many, many people in the hospital want your intimate presence in what that circle of giving, receiving, and gift is. And many times we have to put words on that for them. That's generous. So uh, you may have a lot going on in your mind about your own background, what is happy in that about prayer, what is not so happy, and I think it might be good to just kind of articulate that for yourself. I'd like you to take 30 seconds of silence before you um, begin speaking, Um, and I'm agnostic about whether you talk to somebody you've already talked to or not at this particular point around this topic. So I would say with 30 seconds of kind of silent movement to a partner, Um, And then I'll ring the bell, and we'll just have five minutes of you taking turns, giving um, a little bit about you and prayer. Does that make sense? Is that okay? Okay. And if you don't have experience, views, assumptions, biases, challenges, good experiences, it's whatever comes up for you, whatever's there. Okay. I don't think so. But, you know, it's always the first time. (laughs) Okay. Go. I'll ring the bell at 30 seconds. And at five minutes.
sentence, but if you could wrap it up and come back to your chair in the circle. I'm just very energized by how much energy you bring to this process and these exercises. It's, it's, it's lovely to see. It's exciting to me. So what were some of the um, discoveries that you made for anyone who would like to kind of throw that out there? We'll just take a few minutes to talk about that. Oh, thank you. Susan? Um, I didn't say this, but my partner did, and I realized it was true for me, too. Um, I really have to, I feel the real need to to learn more about um, particularly Christian prayer, because, I mean, you know, this is a Christian country, but I don't know much about prayer outside of my own my own experience outside of my own lineage. So I, I, I really need to, to broaden my expertise. And your lineage is? Hmm? Your lineage is? Tibetan Buddhism. Okay, thank you. Bob? Yeah, I was sharing with Emily that I thought when I started at Laguna Honda that uh, saying prayers of various religions might be an issue since I wasn't Oh, I'm sorry. Laguna Honda Hospital, where I volunteer in in hospice. It's in the city in San Francisco. And, um, you know, it's a non-issue. I I haven't had a resident in the three years say, oh, hi, Bob, it's nice to meet you. What religion are you? Um, And when I have had the opportunity to, say, read Psalms uh, to a Christian resident, it's been really beautiful. And I, I really adore it and, and I find it precious. So what I took in kind of heady as like, this might be a problem, it has been a non-issue. Thank you. Wonderful. I think there's a generosity in the Bay Area around that in particular. Yeah, that we, we're gifted with. Joanna? Um, I'm fascinated. We both were started Catholic. You were Catholic. And in the community I live in, we have about five of us who also were Catholic, but we're not anymore. One's a Jewish, one's Jewish, one's Episcopalian, one's First Congregationalist. And I call myself a Catholic Buddhist, actually. I call myself a Buddhist Christian. Yeah. But um, I have retained uh, some of my favorite prayers, though. Cardinal Newman's prayer. Oh yes, I like that. It's just I like that one a lot. And then the, the one of Memorare, you know. So I just going to say it's kind of interesting uh, how many of us I keep running to. It. And uh, my husband's agnostic, but um, I always say, put it this way: I outgrew my Catholicism. Thank you. Um, I want to say that I'm struck by the comment that this is a Christian nation. And it, I think it was an innocent comment, but it's, it's really reverberating for me because I'm not sure about that. <laughs> There's a real complexity in that. Um, <clears throat> in my work, the biggest challenge for me is people who have no faith um, and how to meet them. Um, and it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing, you know, I have a client who's got fourth stage pancreatic cancer, and I often offer a kind of loving kindness out loud. I'll say, you know, if if I feel some uncertainty in in someone's body, in in my work as a craniosacral practitioner, I might say, uh, may so-and-so be safe and protected. I might say that out loud. And I can feel her 
tighten the slightest, the tiniest bit. You know, when I say that, I was like, oh, I'm not meeting, I'm not meeting this person. Um, and so I, I want to, I want to be able to offer some solace to this person. I'm obviously not their spiritual caregiver, but um, I have to be really, really careful. You know, because um, yeah, that that this is their life and their journey, and they actually faith is not part of their journey. And so, how do I how do I meet them? Yes. And I feel like faith is what can help someone, but mm-hmm. that is not. They don't want that. It's so not up it's, to you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, there's a whole lot more we could say about this, but I would like to have the opportunity to provide answers to some of those kinds of questions, wonderments, questions that you then can take forward as you struggle with that issue, but some ethical approaches to it and some larger frame for what we do mean by prayer in the context of of being a a chaplain um, in whatever format that comes up for you. So I love that a couple of of written prayers or kinds of prayers were mentioned, the Psalms, um, the Memorari and and, uh, Cardinal Newman's prayer, and maybe those could be posted just for interest on on the website if people have them. them Right, if you could send them to Jennifer. Uh, A a source for the Psalms. I mean, the Psalms are part of the Hebrew Scriptures. I need links. Yeah. No, no, it makes sense. And people can do their own with something that generic, but um, those particular prayers are short and interesting, and it just helps expand our understanding of each other. So I, 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 there's a lot we could say about what kind of a country we are, but it, one thing that is uh, clear from the, a lot of the, at least the polling and the research that's done is that the majority of people in this country do say they pray daily. And it's pretty high percentage, somewhere between 70 and 80%. Now, how, what does prayer mean? How do they interpret that? They, it's not defined in the research that's done. It's just whatever would constitute prayer for you, you know, how often do you pray? Um, and many, many, many people will say they have Christian roots, but whether they're actually living that Christian faith in a formal way, um, in this country, it's, it's, it's declining. Um, but the actual spiritual practices that go along with that, including prayer, are increasing. So um, th- there's some need of the heart to connect in that holy space. But what we call it and how someone self-identifies is very various. So the kinds of prayer that come up, um, especially in the kind of work we're doing, um, I, I did bring some resources for people to take a look at if you're curious. Um, and I, there's one that I didn't think about that I will send to Jennifer that's really helpful, which is a uh, book of pastoral care that actually has a lot of prayers that chaplains use a lot. And it has prayers from different denominations and so forth. But some of the books that I find really interesting, if, you, if you're the type of person that likes to go deep and really have an intellectual a framework for this kind of thing, this is the Episcopal Book of Common Prayer. It's, it's beautiful language. It does have the Psalms. It also has a, a whole two pages defining prayer and the kinds of prayer. And I I think it's kind of arch and delightful in the way that English by English people often is. It's taken from the uh, English Book of Common Prayer. And this is true for people who claim to be Christian. A lot of this is very accurate, so you'll run into it. And it's just interesting to know. What is prayer? Prayer is responding to God by thought and by deeds, with or without words. Pretty comprehensive. What is Christian prayer? And this is where I immediately come up against this big wall for myself. Christian prayer is response to God, the Father, through Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about that trinity. Um, I'm not sure I've met a woman in a long time who thinks that's what the Trinity is limited to. Giver, receiver, and gift. 
you know that's kind of that more dynamic approach but this is the 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 doctrine and so there is that that you'll run into in the our father which is the most common prayer that all christians know is still a powerful prayer for a really lot of people especially in times of great disorientation in the hospital with death and so forth. So it's a good prayer to be aware of. And let's not assume that everybody in the room knows what that is. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. That's true. So it's you a, might even want to just say it or yeah. just note that not everybody knows it. So who does know the Our Father? It's about, okay, a majority, but not everybody. Um, the Lord's Prayer, yeah. I hesitate to say it, and the reason is, um, and this will tell you a little more about my belief system, when I pray, I am actually invoking what I'm praying for, and it's hard for me to separate from that and just be didactic about it, but it's a short prayer that, that basically Jesus was given and taught his disciples to say because it was given to him by God. Um, so we'll post it, and you can see what you think. Um, what prayer did Christ teach the Lord's Prayer? And what are the principal kinds of prayer? This is the main thing I wanted to talk a little bit about. Adoration, praise, thanksgiving, penitence, oblation, intercession, and petition. Okay, we've actually mentioned most of those this morning already. So adoration or praise, invoking the sacred, the positive. Um, in, in, a, in a deistic religion, obviously, you're praising God, but in a, a broader sense of what is that impulse of the heart that stands in awe before a redwood tree or praises the sun as it's rising, as St. Francis did, um, we have those moments of awe and wonder every day. And when you pause and stand in that, and we do that even with people in very difficult circumstances, it creates a certain kind of space. I think um, there is even a sense in which the Brahma you know, the, the fields of loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. Those are places where the bliss that can come with being in those fields is uh, a kind of, it brings a kind of awe in the heart that, that can be linked to this. And the impulse is to, to sing, you know, to sing and to let that sing through us. Uh, Thanksgiving, that practice of gratitude, this is super popular right now especially in secular circles where people have a strong need for a connection with their spirit and the spirit of their community. So a pra- you know, there's so many books on gratitude practice and on the benefits of it and on how it's, it benefits our body, it benefits our relationships, it benefits our lives in general and our well-being. Naming the good. And often uh, that will find its way into a spoken prayer with someone we're with in the hospital or in another setting. Penitence, well, that's so central to um, the Jewish roots of Christianity and Christianity itself. Uh, And while we can come and go with that, even in the uh, spirituality of the 12 steps, which some say is the most American spirituality and our gift to the world, um, there is a sense of, ah, I messed up, and I need to own that, and... I'm not going to feel right until I'm able to be sorry and make some kind of amends. So while it's easy to dismiss the excesses of penitence that come up or that we may have experienced as children in our own faith traditions, it can be very important to someone facing death, very important to someone who's incarcerated, very important to somebody who's on a, re- in a, on a journey of recovery of one kind or another. And Learning to be present when those moments of I need to tell you something come up and understanding that this is a process that's healing for the person can be very important for us. Um, And I would say no one would have come to this process unless you stood at that threshold with someone telling you something you didn't expect them to tell you because that's part of how you know you're called to this work. Somehow energetically, interpersonally, Spiritually, you've created an opening for them to move into that and to tell you something, to share with you 
intimately share with you a part of themselves they're not quite okay with. It may not always be because they need to do something differently, but it is about an intimacy that uh, you're inviting and that is being accepted. You're giving that gift and it's being received and it's being handed back. Um, The most common uh, spoken prayer that most of us are familiar with from extemporaneous prayer, that's the prayer that uh, when I got into chaplaincy and listened to some of the extemporaneous, meaning on-the-spot prayers that some of my Protestant colleagues did, I could not believe how they could go on and on and on with this because it's a skill, and they learned it very young. Um, being Catholic, I'm still not you know, quite as comfortable with that. Um, but it's, it can be extremely healing in the pastoral encounter. And we'll get to a little bit of a description and a framework for how you can craft an extemporaneous prayer that's true to you, true to the other, true to the context of the situation. And Cater, I actually really like that you talked about you know, saying some of the phrases from um, at a meditation and offering that because that is one of the options. And when when the when it's clear that that there's openness to being received, that kind of extemporaneous offering of that blessing, uh, in response to what is being felt as a need, can be very helpful and and completely true to you. It's a question of how do you know it's true to the other, and there are lots of elements to that. I want to give you, oh, you're going to, I don't know what Jennifer's going to think of this. We didn't do training together for chaplaincy, but we had some of the same teachers. So you're going to go, oh, my God, that old thing. But it's helpful. Don't do that now. Oh, my God. I don't even know what it is. So when you first walk into a room or you encounter someone, let's be imaginative. It's an emergency room. Someone is coming in. They have to go to surgery. They've asked for the chaplain. They want a prayer before they go into that place where they might die because nobody goes into surgery. I had a a vessel repaired on my little finger once. I swear I asked that chaplain to pray with me because I was going under general anesthesia for that tiny little thing, and I didn't know if I was going to come out. I wanted to be right with God and right with the world. Um, And this was like 10 years ago. So, you know, people do ask for that. How do you know how to pray with them? How do you get a sense of it? So you, you, you create a little bit of a connection, and Paul's going to talk more about that later, and we'll be working with different ways of doing that over this course of our meetings. But one quick thing to listen for as you go in and say, um, and in this you'd be really direct, because they've asked for prayer, so it's not the same situation. You know they want prayer. Um, who do you pray to? What is it that you want? Uh, is there anything you're afraid of? And what you're listening for, this is the old thing, is is there a sense of needing to be supported, comforted, and belong? Is there a sense something's wrong and there needs to be a little bit of reconciliation? Are they asking for guidance? Probably not likely in that situation, but you never know. They'll tell you what they tell you. You hear with those ears. And um, one of those three approaches will often be their greatest need at the moment. Um, Support, comfort, belonging. Reconciliation. They're out of sync with one of their relationships or with some aspect of their life they need to unburden and get right with it. And the third is guidance. They're asking for guidance. You know, I, w- I want to know if I'm going to come through this. So then you craft your prayer. You know, and, and they will give you a sense, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Um, or I, I was raised um, Jewish, and, uh, you know, this is what I... So I don't, however, that comes through for them. Um, 
and then you'll know perhaps the Psalms might be helpful, or you may have the Shema, which is an, an, some Jewish prayers. And it is important to kind of get your little kit together just to have some background for it. Um, when you're actually going to be called on directly as a spiritual caregiver. And then you craft your prayer. So the prayer, the bones of the prayer would be around who is there? Do you have any privacy or not? And you can create some of that usually in a situation like that. Uh, what are you praying? Who are you praying to? So, you know, um, Almighty God would be fine if it's a Protestant situation. Um, what would you say if it's a Jewish? Would, would, who would tell me? Who would say? Somebody say what you would call God. You know, creator God. Um, Catholic, you can really be creative because that's all over the place. I usually just say, um, unless somebody tells me exactly what they want, you know, holy one or maker of us all. If it, it, um, especially if it's somebody who wants comfort and guidance in that way. What are their concerns? You know, I'm really worried my children would be alone. Okay, so then you put that into your prayer. And we come before you, Holy God, with a request that, um, and whether or not you use the person's name is is up to you and what's comfortable. Um, And you'll get a sense of that, and you'll make some mistakes, and you'll get corrected, and you'll learn. and then kind of bring it to a place after you've named whatever the desire is. You know, may that surgeon's hands be skillful. May you come through this uh, successfully. May your healing be and well-being um, be in uh, your heart and your hands and your body. Uh, however you would put words on what's needed there. And we ask this in the name of, or we ask this in the presence of all that's holy, whatever your language is. And then, amen, amen. Sometimes if there's other family there, you can ask if they you, they want to be involved in the prayer and always check with the primary person first. And you want to pray alone or would you like your family here? It's my experience that if family is actually there and present, often that's helpful and there'll be people will be clear. Uh, and, and then um, to just pause and, of course, not immediately disconnect because it, there is a sense when you go into that sacred, intimate space, even briefly, that um, you're on holy ground. And to come back from it and then move back into whatever the crisis is that's going on or the situation that's going on, uh, it takes a minute to get grounded again. And so to kind of look at the person... Uh, touch is very important and um, something that it takes some time to to get clear on. Uh, I always ask. Uh, people will often just reach for you and they want to take your hand. Um, I think in the years I've been a chaplain, touch has become more fraught rather than less. But at the same time, especially in hospital care, people are are actually hungry to be reassured by touch and you can kind of follow the um your nurses are your guide here because you can see how nurses work with patients in that way and how they uh in, invite and provide really helpful presence whether it's physical touch or it's just the touch of your presence but it's important to be available to that when people are really frightened like in a situation where they're getting ready to go to surgery, they probably want you to have your hand on them somewhere in a, in a non-threatening way and to say, um, is it okay if I um, touch your shoulder while we pray? And people will say, they'll say, oh, yes, or they'll take your hand. Or, you know, There's a sense of wanting that connection as they separate to go into something pretty stressful and traumatic, potentially traumatic. And whether or not you pray and how you pray for people's healing really depends on what they've cued you with. Because some people can feel like, oh, that's, no, that's my business. I really don't, that's not what I asked for. So that attunement is very fine. Um, 
But to talk about it in a certain way makes it more complicated than to just be there and to just move in with your good heart, your good intention, and your really wide open awareness. Because you'll sense, you'll sense. So before we kind of open up to another little bit that I have exercise I want to pass around, um, I want to say a little bit about the context of self and other in prayer. And Paul talked about it, and Gil talked a little about it in the in the um, frame of generosity, of are we presenting ourselves and being with another in a way where we are very separate, or in a way where we're kind of peers? And that's a little bit complicated when you have a formal role as a chaplain, because even if somebody's asked for you to come as chaplain, or, or especially, uh, maybe, they have an idea and a projection of who you are and what you're likely to bring. And that may or may not fit you. And it may or may not uh, be helpful. Um, so how do you bridge that distance? You know, and that, how do you listen for those projections? And uh, when do you stand in, in that authority they've granted you to to pray for them or to be with them or to guide them or whatever and how and when do you level that field and really be with them soul to soul part of that will be your personality and your style and part of that will be what they need and you learn that also by trial and error Um, but there is a power differential you know in the places where we're going to be helpful and to serve others we can go in and we can leave and we're not going in uh, today normally you know in a physically compromised position to somebody who is in a physically compromised position so there's a power differential and it's important to be aware of that because the least helpful chaplains i've seen who come in and pray oh my gosh i do have to tell a bad story um I remember when I was a really young chaplain calling a priest in to co- a Roman Catholic priest to come in and do last rites. And it was a situation where a family had taken a long time to make a very thoughtful decision about disconnecting their um, their mother from life support. Uh, but it was clear finally to them, as it had been clear to the care team in ICU for a while, that their mom was not going to wake up after a really bad traffic accident, and they were ready to let her go, but they wanted to do that in a way that was consistent with who they were and their their faith. So first of all, it was very hard to get the priest to come, and it was not a priest who had had chaplaincy training or anything like that. He comes in. He comes in, he looks at the patient, he looks around the room, he immediately walks out, calls me out. I'm like, what? I come out and he says, I need this, this, and this, and, um, and then I, you know, I'm going to do, do this sacrament, and then I have 10 other people to see in the hospital, so I really can't spend a lot of time. I'm like, oh, well, okay. So we get the stuff he needs. He comes in, he says some prayers, he does the anointing very abruptly. Um, it's really a beautiful ritual. And there is um, oil that's put on the forehead and the hands and the heart and the feet and the family prays together. And there's this sense of communion together and let it, then of letting go. Well, this is a person in the ICU hooked up to all kinds of things. We're getting ready to disconnect all that. Um, family's exhausted. It's the middle of the night. And so he, he, he doesn't do all the anointing. He does only part of it. Um, and then he kind of swips up and goodbye, and he shakes my hand. He doesn't even shake the family's hand. And I'm new. I, I don't know how to stop him or to kind of help with this situation. Um, and so he leaves, and, you know, the family was angry. So they're disconnecting their mom. The family's angry. They didn't feel like they got a good sacrament, a good prayer, and uh, and there, you know, there I was like, oh my gosh, what do I learn from this? So what I learned from that was it isn't always the one who comes in and does the magic who provides the care. So to prepare the family, to um, insist that there be, the, you know, get the patient completely ready for the full anointing, so that he didn't have to be discon- inconvenienced by 
someone coming in and moving wires around and moving the blanket off the feet and all of that to get that all ready and to really be clear what do you need as family what you know what what's important for you in this particular sacrament today just to take the time to work it out and to be present and then to apologize i've apologized for for a lot of things in the hospital um and for a lot of people and then to listen and to just be present just be present um that's all prayer. You know, the extemporaneous prayer that you provide is very important, but it's the culmination of meeting, getting to know, entering into a space together, listening in a mutual way, and then it's kind of, I always think of it as the bow on the gift. It's the last thing, and, and it completes the encounter. It is not the point of the encounter. So, satin, satin bow, fancy bow. <laughs> I well, it depends on the person, you know. <laughs> but yeah, for me, I, I probably would think of it as as a bow filled with light. Yeah, Sparky. yeah, maybe some glitter. <laughs> so, just opening your mind up to that presence as a prayer, and. It can be lots of different things. And then before I pass this around, I do want to mention there really are many good resources. A Guide to Jewish Prayer is a beautiful book. You can welcome to look at it today. Christian and Islamic Spirituality. So this is a little more modern and more from a, um, a, a womanist point of view. John O'Donoghue. This is a lovely book. To Bless the Space Between Us. Very helpful for people who have no faith because it's blessings for uh, without explicitly um, invoking any deity. And it's Irish. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, my Irish roots, I just, this kind of language is just luscious. He was a priest. He um, was laicized toward the end of his life. He's also a poet. And um, he has several books. Anamkara, have you ever read that book? That's a beautiful book, too. But this is explicitly about blessings. So I'm going to pass this around, and what I'd like is for each person, if you would be so kind, to read a line. There's a dot point, and I think there's probably just about enough for everyone to read it. it there are two readings. The first is The Essence of Prayer from Prayer by Fre- Frederick Heiler, and where is he from, Jennifer? Is he an American or German? Do you know? German. Yeah. And some of the language was exclusive, and I will tell you, I went back and forth and back and forth, and I changed it. I just didn't want it to be triggering for anyone else the way it was for me. So if you're very interested in him and you go, wow, that's kind of interesting. He was pretty progressive. No. (laughs) Go read the book if it's really important to you to have it in the original. It was only a few places, but I I just couldn't. Good, there they go. So they can be triggered in private. Um, And then I have a a little poem by Mary Oliver. It has three verses, so if if that's where it lands for you toward the end, um, please read the whole verse. Because it's very important, I think, in these days for us to be as expansive as we can in our images of God, that which is greater than ourselves, higher power, the transcendent, the holy. Okay, so we'll go counterclockwise. Oh, okay. oh, is that okay? Okay. And I guess I could have started here, but I think that's good. So if you could just read that and then it, it, give it to the person next to you. We'll pause between each one and um, listen for these words on prayer. The Essence of Prayer from Prayer by Friedrich Heiler. Prayer appears in history in an astonishing multiplicity of forms, as the calm collectedness of a devout individual's soul and as the ceremonial liturgy of a great congregation. As an original creation of religious genius and as an imitation on the part of a simple, average religious person. As the spontaneous expression 
of upspringing religious experiences and as the mechanical recitation of an incomprehensible formula. As bliss and ecstasy of heart and as a painful fulfillment of the law. As the involuntary discharge of an overwhelming emotion and as the voluntary concentration on a religious object. As loud shouting and crying and as still silent absorption. As artistic poetry and as stammering speech. As the flight of the spirit to the supreme light and as a cry out of the deep distress of the heart. As joyous thanksgiving and ecstatic praise and as humble supplication for forgiveness and compassion. As a childlike entreaty for life, health, and happiness, and as an earnest desire for power in the moral struggle of existence. as a simple petition for daily bread, and as an all-consuming yearning for God, God's self. As a selfish wish, and as an unselfish solicitude for a sister or brother, as wild cursing and vengeful thirst, and as heroic intercession for personal enemies and persecutors. As a stormy clamor and demand, and as a joyful renunciation and holy serenity. as a desire to change God's will and make it chime with our petty wishes, and as a self-forgetting vision of and surrender to the highest good. As the timid entreaty of the sinner before a stern judge, and as the trustful talk of a child with a kind parent. as swelling phrases of politeness and flattery before an unapproachable sovereign, and as a free outpouring in the presence of a friend who cares. As the humble petition of a servant to a powerful master, and as the ecstatic converse of the bridegroom with the heavenly bride. Praying. Great. Praying. It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention, then patch. A few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway. And to thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. Praying, it doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot 
or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. As you hear those various um, assertions about prayer through the ages, uh, what I would like to invite is for, first of all, you to have a sense that the, the seventh form of prayer, which I didn't mention but has been mentioned throughout the morning, which is oblation, which is self-offering, it's very deeply embedded in every serious spiritual tradition. And your coming here to this course is an oblation. It's an offering of your life for the service of others. An offering to who? To what? Um, it, it may be a sense of offering with faith in the Dharma that you have something to give. It may be your own connection to deity in, ever, in any way that particularly takes place. It's deep in the Catholic tradition to offer one's own sufferings in uh, alignment with the suffering of Christ for the transformation of the world. Uh, And that same sense of when we stand with another in their suffering, um, appropriately connected to it, uh, we lighten it. And I think of when my sister died when I was in my 40s, and it was an unexpected death. And the deacon of our church at that time came to the funeral, and he didn't say a word. He didn't say a word. All he did was stand close by, and we, my family's hearts, were so broken in that moment. We weren't hearing what people said anyway. Um, and his strong presence, he'd been a, a wrestler in the, you know, one of those crazy, I think his name was Elephant Boy. He was a great big guy in Las Vegas. Um, and then he got the call late in life. His presence was such a comfort. You know, he offered his presence. That was his prayer. Um, he gave homilies for 20 years while I was in that church. I couldn't tell you one thing he ever said, but I will never forget what it felt like to have him standing with my family in that moment. Uh, So that oblation, that's really the beginning and the end of it, is that self-opening and that offering. Um, And having said that, unless you really had some good training, um, I would not venture sitting at the bedside of a dying patient or in a crisis situation somewhere else to do Tonglin. Do you know what Tonglin is? Um, Unless you really have trained for that and have gotten facility in that and understand your own boundaries around that, it it can be a little bit too much. So uh, some of those deeper mystical ways of connecting with others, um, hold off, hold off until you're clear what your call is and what you're doing and always work with somebody who is an expert in that before venturing there um, they're powerful they they really do something um, and maybe when we talk about death we can talk a little more about about some of that those kinds of exercises but uh, stay simple for now as Mary Oliver points us so um I'm going to actually have you do a little journaling before we break for lunch. But two thoughts I want to leave you with. Pray as you can, not as you can't. So, you know, if there's a particular form of prayer that somebody wants and you can't do it, then you're not the one to do it. Have somebody else go and help that person. And finally, if the only prayer you ever say is thank you, that will be enough. And that's a statement by a Christian mystic, Meister Eichert, from many centuries ago, because in this way, I'm not sure humans have changed very much in the last few thousand years. There were two prayers, you said. Remember the other one? I don't. Please. Oh, (laughs) I like that. Please, please. So what I'd like you to do is, um, we've got about 10 minutes, 12 to be exact, 
and take as much of that time as you need. But to sit for a moment, really identify what you need today, what you need from a heart space, and then write a prayer for yourself that responds to that. You'll get some opportunity this afternoon to actually practice spoken extemporaneous prayer, but for this time frame, write a prayer for yourself. Okay, and at the end of the time, I'll ring the bell, but as you're done, um, please feel free to kind of go and move into lunch. Is there anything else, that, or do you want them to stay to say anything before lunch? Is that okay? Okay. So identify for yourself what, what you need today, and then write a prayer that identifies you know, who, who you're praying to, uh, what it is you need, um, the surroundings that you're experiencing today. Um, If it feels right, some sense of uh, how you are thankful for that prayer to be offered. You may be in a complete place of lament. Gratitude may not be part of it. Um, And whatever words are meaningful to you. And this will be just for you. This won't be something that we'll necessarily share. This will be your prayer for your need today. And who you pray to can be what you pray to? Yes, who you pray to or what you pray to. Can you remind us when you come back after lunch? It is. Well, 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 no, well, well, I think we need to... Can we end that was my question. Yeah, 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 do we'll we need back. to stay? We'll, we'll do this here. And, and then I'll ring the bell and I... And then we'll have okay. announcements before going to lunch. Okay. Still learning the drill. Okay. Just end. We are just going to end. Oh well, I would. Oh, just okay. Well, um, well, we should, we should, we should thank Christina. (laughs) How could we not after a conversation or prayer? And uh, to make it most personal, uh, so I wrote one too, and it um, surprised me. It clarified a challenge that I had. It clarified a kind of way to go forward and Mm. with confidence. And it was just very, very nice, simple prayer and. You know, it made a difference for me, and um, and so thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> so um, so we'll take an hour for lunch, and uh, over there on the stage is where the two sheets are for putting the clearance information for the prisons we're going to, and I'm very much hoping that it's going to divide up really neatly. Half the group will go to San Quentin. Half the group will be to Soledad. Soledad is far further away. Uh, I mean, it's quite a drive to go down there. And uh, so, uh, you know, there could be a strong pull to, you know, to go to San Quentin just for that reason. But if, uh, you know, hopefully we'll divide up in half. And if it's either or and it looks like one of them is not being filled, maybe you can go to the ones not being filled. The... um, uh, one's on a Saturday, and that's in Soledad on the 8th of December, and the, uh, the other is on a Friday, the 14th. And the 7th of, of December, we have our meeting here. So if those of you far away, you can stay up if you want to stay overnight and then go down to Soledad. That would be great. Soledad is about uh, south of here, south of, uh, southeast of, kind of, of Salinas. And uh, from here, on a good day, uh, no traffic and stuff. It probably takes two hours from here. So from Berkeley, I don't know. It's your, you know, how it works there. But so uh, 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 if you're interested in going, it's a powerful thing to go to these prisons and you see the programs there. And uh, the sheet is there. 
And Jennifer put some other information there about who your readers are, who you're, in, who you're having your meetings with, interviews with, we call it, with one of us. So you should look at that and then uh, know, like some of you uh, had meetings this last uh, you know, little session between the last first meeting and second, but maybe you didn't get organized to know it. And some of you have it now between now and the next time we meet here. And so if you can look at that sheet and... Uh, oh, not down there. Oh, Okay, well, I'll try to have it there. But uh, try to... F- oh, you have a copy. Can you put it there? And the reason is because so you can come and find us. And during the breaks, during lunch, you know, we set up a time where we can, uh, we can have those meetings. That's easiest. Oh. So who's reading whose papers is there? Okay, it's tiny. You need a magnifying glass or help or get close. So uh, I think we did lunch before, but it's probably nice enough to take table and chairs outside in the uh, back parking lot and enjoy your lunch together. Thank you.